The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. They were to put on sandals, but not to wear two coats. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that area. Any place that will not receive you or listen to you as you leave there, shake off the dust that is under your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They also drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you think your job's tough, let me tell you about Amos, and then maybe you'll appreciate the job you have a little bit more. Amos was a shepherd who also worked with little fig trees. He lived in Israel, in the north, where the people were always following the wicked ways of their wicked kings. The Lord came to Amos and said, Amos, go to the people of Israel and tell them, my patience has run out and destruction is coming their way. So Amos got up and he went right to the heart of Israel, a place called Bethel. And there he proclaimed to the people in a variety of vivid and terrifying ways, you're all going down. There in Bethel was another prophet named Amaziah. More specifically, Amaziah was a false prophet. He was the yes man of the wicked king. Amaziah was the guy, no matter how evil the king got, no matter how evil the people got, Amaziah was the guy who was always there to say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, everything's okay, everything's going to be okay forever, don't worry about a thing, you don't have to change a thing. So you can imagine when Amaziah got wind of the kinds of things that Amos was saying in Bethel, right in the heart of the country, he said, get out of here. Flee to the land of Judah, that's down in the south. You may eat food and prophesy there, but you must never again prophesy at Bethel. See, Amos was telling the people the truth. And to someone like Amaziah, the truth was a dangerous thing. But the really interesting thing about this story is the way that Amos responds to Amaziah. Basically, Amos says, Look, pal, you don't want me here. I don't really want to be here either. But the Lord took me from tending flocks, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. See, the Lord had called Amos to speak God's truth, and that's what Amos was going to do. He didn't really have any other choice. He was going to say, what God wanted him to say, even if it meant that he was going to be making trouble with that message. Called workers, going all the way back to Noah, who preached repentance in the days before the flood, all the way down through the prophets of Israel, like Amos, the apostles, Peter and Paul, all the way to the present day, called workers are people devoted to proclaiming God's word publicly. And sometimes God has called those workers directly. Amos, for example, didn't have a choice. The Lord went right to him and said, Amos, go. The 12 that Jesus sends out in today's gospel, he said to them face to face, follow me. And there was a man named Saul 
who was on his way to round up Christians when Jesus very directly, very confrontationally called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So sometimes God has done this directly, face to face for a worker, but that's not usually how he does it. And St. Paul is the last one I know of that God did that for. Usually when God calls these workers, he does it through a group of Christians, through a congregation. So really the call is coming from two places at the same time. It's coming from God and it's coming from people, from a congregation. And this is why St. Paul laid out for Timothy what congregations should look for in these called workers. What are the qualifications? Now, if the work includes overseeing a congregation, Paul says, then it should be a man who's married to one woman, that's maximum, not minimum, by the way, as well as temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent man, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He should also have a handle on his own house and not be new to Christianity. He should be well thought of even by people outside of the church, even by unbelievers. So that's where called workers come from, and that's what they're supposed to be like. But what are they for? When Jesus sends out those 12 that he called directly, he gives them instructions on what to do. And most of the instructions that Jesus gives to those 12 are just for them. And we know that because the Bible does not repeat these instructions for all called workers of all time. If it did, I would be wearing sandals right now. And I would have sinned by bringing a moving truck to Virginia. And when you got sick, I would be able to miraculously heal you, which I wish I could, but I can't. Most of what Jesus tells these 12 is just for them, that time, that place. But... It's the message that these 12 workers went out with that is the same message God calls all of his called workers to go out with. They went out and preached that people should repent. Called workers are supposed to preach that people should repent. That is their reason for existence. The thing is that telling people they should repent is a lot like telling people they should be taller or they should have blue eyes instead of brown eyes. You're telling them what you want them to do, but they don't have the power in them to do it. God actually calls his workers to go out with a message to proclaim to people that is impossible for those people to do, to tell them to repent when they can't do it. And why is it impossible for people to repent? Well, repentance is being sorry for your sin and also turning. Repent literally means turn. You're sorry for your sin and you turn to Jesus and you look to him in faith for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, sometimes when the Bible uses the word repent, it's just talking about the first part, being sorry. And sometimes it's just talking about the second part, turning, Jesus, turning to Jesus in faith. But the full definition of repentance is the whole thing. And scripture is clear from cover to cover that no sinful human being has the power in them to turn to Jesus in faith. That only the Holy Spirit has the power to work repentance, which is a miracle in the heart of a human being. And God gives to his called workers the tools that the Holy Spirit uses to produce the miracle of repentance. He gives 
his word, and he gives the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And through the use of those tools, the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts what they cannot, repentance, sorrow for their sin, turning to Jesus in faith for forgiveness. So this is what the mission of a called worker comes down to. Use God's word faithfully. Preach it, teach it accurately. Baptize people, commune people, and trust that the Holy Spirit will work repentance in their hearts. And that means that you, as God's people in this congregation, this is what you should expect of your called workers, that they use those tools faithfully and that they behave, they conduct themselves the way that St. Paul said they should. It really should not matter to you at all if your pastor votes the way you vote, if he cheers for the teams that you cheer for, or whether or not you think his jokes are funny, although if you don't, the problem's with you, not with him. <laughs> and it really shouldn't matter to you if your pastor is handsome or reminds you a bit of Shrek, if he's old or if he's young. The only thing that should matter to you is that he's using God's word and sacraments faithfully because that's what the Spirit uses to work repentance and keep the miracle of repentance strong in your heart. It's all about, for a called worker, turning people away from their sin to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus with the word and sacrament. But of course, Satan and our own sinful notions inside of ourselves and the attitudes of our world tell us that everything else matters except Jesus. The messenger matters. The style of the messenger, the personality of the messenger, the energy of the messenger. Or maybe it's what's lacking in the messenger that really matters. It's the places where he doesn't have abilities. That's what we should focus on. And that's just wrong, wrong, and straight, dead, backward. It was the message of repentance that Jesus sent those messengers out with. That's what was important, not the messengers themselves. And the reason Jesus sent them out with the message that people should repent is because that's the message Jesus himself went out with. Five chapters earlier in Mark's gospel, at the very beginning, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. The man speaking that message is the Son of God. He's the Son of God who surrendered all of his glory, all the glory of heaven, and came into this world to save us. And he came into this world to be the Father's worker, to be the Father's messenger for us. He came to preach and teach to us about the kingdom of God as he was opening it up to us with his holy life and his sacrifice on the cross. He came to work for us, fighting against Satan and his lies and overcoming them and walking in lockstep with the will of his Father, even when it meant going to the cross to die for our sins. He's the one who rose for us, and he still lives. Because of that saving work, because of Jesus' resurrection, the fact that he still lives, that message of repentance gives life. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. See, it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done 
that we have the solution for our sins. It's because he still lives that repentance works. It's because you have a living Savior who lives to forgive your sins, who earned that forgiveness, waiting for you when you turn to him in faith. And that's what makes Jesus and the message of repentance the only thing that really matters. And that's why Satan and our own sinful nature tries to get us to focus on something, anything else. The personality of the one speaking the message, the style, the energy. If Satan can get us looking at anything else, including those things, he is smiling wide because Jesus is what matters. Repentance. Turning to a living Savior for the forgiveness of sins. Meanwhile, the messengers are sinful, mortal, gone. Maybe in a few years, maybe in a few months, maybe before dinner. But they're sinful human beings. They're as good as gone. In the first church that I served, they had a giant plaque on the wall in the narthex with all the names and years of service of the, I don't know, 20-some pastors who served there as a 160-year-old congregation. The names at the top, these obnoxious German names at the top of the plaque, Fritz, Kierkeschlagenmacher, or whatever, they were pretty much totally faded off the plaque. And I'd walk past it and think, you know, this is really kind of disrespectful. Somebody ought to polish up this plaque. I went back to that church five years after I had moved on. My name, near the bottom, was already starting to fade. And I thought, now somebody really better start polishing this plaque. But maybe not. You know, maybe that's the healthy attitude, that you let the messengers fade away because what really matters is what they proclaim. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Life and a living Savior. But now, here comes the paradox. Jesus is everything. The messenger is nothing. And yet, the messenger is important because he's the one that God has called and the one that the congregation calls to proclaim that message of repentance. He's the one who's called to be there to use the word and sacrament so that the Holy Spirit will work faith. And that makes a called worker valuable, even when there is not a severe shortage of called workers. It makes a called worker valuable, even if maybe personally you don't care for him too much. You don't really personally like the cut of his jib. It makes it worth keeping him around and keeping him upright because of the message that he speaks. And I would say that this congregation, this group of Christians, understands that very well and does a very good job of it. Comparisons are not always a good thing, but compared to other churches I have served, there isn't any comparison. In fact, there's a few of you who could maybe tone it back a couple of notches. You're a little bit over the top. But generally speaking, uh, you should just keep doing what you are doing in that department. And as you do, remember what I'm here for. The job that God gives me to do is to use his word, his sacraments faithfully, to turn you away from sin, to your living Savior for the forgiveness of sins, and trust the Holy Spirit to do what he has promised, to work that repentance in your heart, to turn you toward life in your living Jesus. Amen.